1: Dementia is not a single disease. It's a term that covers a wide range of specific medical conditions. The number of people living with dementia is expected to triple in the next 30 years. Dementia, diagnosis and management tonight, on call with the Prairie Doc. Health information based on science, built on trust for 21 seasons. Good evening and welcome to the 21st season of On Call with the Prairie Doc, medical information based on science built on trust. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm Dr. Kelly Evans-Hullinger, your Prairie Doc host. Tonight, we will be discussing dementia, what we look for in a diagnosis and what to expect for the future. Joining us in the studio this evening on the campus of South Dakota State University in Brookings and through Zoom are Dr. Justin Pearson from Avera Medical Group Neurology in Sioux Falls and Dr. Joseph Reese from Avera Medical Group Family Health Center in Marion Road. Welcome guys. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, Dr. Reese, can you tell us a little bit about your practice, your specialty and what your day to day work is like?
2: Sounds good, yeah. I work as an internal medicine doctor and geriatrician. Most of my time spent doing geriatrics only.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I do a clinic that I run basically in the mornings mm-hmm. uh, at uh, Marion Road, and then in the afternoons, I go out and see patients at nursing homes and assisted livings throughout Sioux Falls.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and you probably see a lot of patients in with living with dementia just based I on the population uh, that I have many see. patients that yeah. have
2: dementia, yeah. yeah. Most of my patients are 65 and older, and so yeah. many of them
3: are have dementia.
1: Mm-hmm. Justin, how about you? Tell us about your specialty and your practice in neurology.
3: Uh, Yep, yep, I'm a general neurologist, but I also did a fellowship in behavioral neurology. Um, There's an extra year where we mainly dealt with different types of dementia. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, in practice here at Avera, I do probably three quarters general neurology and 25% dementia.
1: Okay, great. I'm looking forward to our discussion tonight, but before we start our conversation, we invite you, our audience, to submit your questions for tonight's discussion about dementia. Viewers can contact us three ways. Call 1-888-376-6225. Send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. We will work to answer as many of your questions as possible given the time available. Sometimes we receive more questions than we can cover, and we apologize if we do not get to your question. To encourage you to ask early, all questions asked in the first 20 minutes will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Dot gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of the program. Your question will remain anonymous, but please provide contact information when you submit your questions. So before we get to some viewer questions, I think it's helpful, especially in this topic, to just define some terms that we're gonna use. So let's start with the big term of dementia. Joe, can you tell us what what do we mean when we say dementia?
2: So I think the best way to define it is it's kind of an umbrella term. So there's Mm -hmm. multiple different diagnoses that fall under the term of dementia. Mm -hmm. It is obviously a disorder or a, a disease process of the brain where you have difficulty in several different areas of brain function Mm -hmm. so it can be as easily as memory and sometimes it can be visual-spatial, sometimes it can be functioning, Mm -hmm. visual, sometimes it can be uh, complex thinking, thinking about multiple tasks that you have to do in a row and so having difficulty with those things is how we think of dementia. Right.
1: And when we say that, what we also mean is that there's a lot of different specific causes of dementia, so um, one of the most common and probably something that a lot of people think is synonymous with dementia, but is one subtype is Alzheimer's dementia. Justin, can you tell us what is that disease?
3: Yep, Um, dementia uh, definitely is by far the most common. Anywhere from 60 to 80% of all dementias are Alzheimer's. Um, What differentiates it from others um, is it primarily uh, affects memory first. Um, Mm. That being said, um, there are different subtypes of Alzheimer's. Uh, One's called posterior cortical atrophy where it can affect uh, visual spatial skills or ability to navigate or our ability to follow a book. Um, And then there's also a frontal variant where it primarily affects behavior. Uh, But the vast majority are the typical Uh, um, poor short-term memory.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, and what are some other types of dementia besides Alzheimer's disease?
2: Well, the other ones are vascular, that Mm -hmm. probably being one of the more common ones as well. Frontal temporal dementia, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Parkinson's associated dementia or Lewy body dementia Mm -hmm. are the big ones.
1: Yeah, great. and when we have a patient who's maybe having some changes in their memory or their cognition or function, Justin, what are the, th- what are the things that we do that try to get us to a diagnosis? How do we make the diagnosis of one of these subtypes of dementia?
3: Uh, the biggest thing is taking the history. Um, usually it's mm-hmm. very uh, crucial to have a family member there, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're there a little uh, further along. Um, oftentimes, they don't recognize that they have any deficits. Right. Um, and it's crucial to kind of identify which which troubles they were having first. Um, and then there's a few lab tests we also do to look for reversible causes. Mm-hmm. Um, thyroid dysfunction can lead to memory troubles, a so low B12 can.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, we also evaluate for sleep apnea if you have risk factors, because that can mimic it. And then we also look at people's moods as well.
1: Yeah, good. So looking for those things that actually are reversible, whereas dementia usually isn't, but there are some things that can look like dementia that actually aren't. Yeah, good. What are some typical early symptoms of, let's say Alzheimer's dementia, Joe? What are the common things that you might say a family member might notice first?
2: I think the most common one is difficulty with short-term memory. So meaning as as they try to remember things that are not Uh, that happened today or yesterday or something like that. They have a hard time recalling Mm -hmm. some of that information. Maybe it's a hard time with directions. Maybe it's a hard Mm -hmm. time remembering to go to appointments or a hard time paying bills. So I think those are some of the things that are kind of some of the early key indicators that say, okay, this is maybe where I'm having difficulty or maybe they're getting lost and can't remember where to go when they're going to somewhere that they don't go to all the time, but go occasionally, like mm-hmm. the doctor's office or something like that. So those, I think, are the things that you're gonna see first for those Alzheimer's patients.
1: Yeah, I find, and, and maybe this isn't 100% true, but that when, when patients are struggling with some early signs of dementia, usually it isn't the patient who notices and has insight into it, but it's often a family member or a loved one. Do you agree with that?
2: I would 100% yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Most of the patients don't feel like they have any trouble.
1: Right, right. So That's most what... of the
2: time I have a lot of patients that are like, no, I'm having no trouble with my memory. It's great. Right. But then when you ask the spouse, then the spouse is like, nope, yeah. <laughs> they.
1: Right, right, good. Well, we do have some um, viewer questions coming in, so I guess let's get to some of those. Um, let's start with, this is a good one. Um, do any of the over-the-counter medications or medications on TV work on dementia. I just saw an ad today for one called Prevagen that's out there. I get a question about that a lot. What do you tell people about those ads, Justin?
3: Uh, Yeah, Um, if you look at the ingredients of Prevagen, the main one is vitamin D. Um, I believe Prevagen's around $50 a month to buy, whereas Mm -hmm. vitamin D is about $5. Um, So I usually tell them to spend it on a nice dinner instead of buying the Prevagen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no evidence. actual evidence that it's helpful. Right, and by, you bring that up, vitamin D has probably been very well studied oh. and, and unfortunately hasn't borne out. True, Joe? That is true. Yeah, yeah. okay.
2: We wish it had. Yeah, but. right.
1: <laughs> yes, of course, we, we would love to give something that helped with people people with their memory, but unfortunately, this probably doesn't have a great, great evidence. Good question. Um, Let's see, how about are there medications that can help slow the progression of dementia? Um, What would you say generally to that, Joe?
2: I think, yeah, there's a couple medicines that we usually try to help yeah. slow progression of dementia. They come in two different categories, and so we usually pick one of those two. If it's early in the course, I typically go with an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. Mm-hmm. If it's a little bit later, then uh, the only one in that class is memantine or nemenda, so typically mm-hmm. that's the one I'm using. if. I think they have a little bit more advanced dementia, and uh, I have several patients that are on those, and uh, sometimes it works pretty well, and other times it doesn't work as well, but yes, they can help slow the progression of dementia.
1: Sure. Anything you'd add to that, Justin?
3: Um, Yeah, Um, there's some evidence that for every year somebody's on it, it maybe slows things down by about two months. Um, There has been a few recent medications that were approved uh, that decrease the amount of a protein called amyloid in your brain
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, the one most recently approved is called Licanumab. Um it's been shown to maybe slow things down by about 25 percent uh, but there's also a 20 percent risk of brain bleeding or swelling mm-hmm. and um, it requires a twice monthly infusion um, so they're not um, um, great great treatments by any means, but there, there are other options that will eventually probably be available.
1: Mm-hmm. Lots of research in, in this, mm-hmm. you know, so many people affected. I feel like a lot of research is out there and we're all hopeful. Yeah, yeah. good. Um, let's see, we have a question from a viewer from Alcester who asked, does Lupron hormone therapy or Luprolide for prostate cancer cause or increase the risk of early onset dementia? Joe, do you have any knowledge on... I have a little
2: bit of understanding on Mm -hmm. that. I don't think uh, the science is complete on that. What I would say is maybe there is a little bit of a trend toward increasing the risk of dementia with Mm. that medication, but I don't think the understanding is complete on that. So the answer to that is maybe, maybe not.
1: Got it, okay. we have, Justin, do you have yeah. a different
2: opinion on that?
1: Is that something that you've heard? No, uh, no, nope, nope,
3: completely agree. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it's a fairly commonly used treatment for yeah. prostate cancer once it's spread and a good treatment. So probably hard, hard decisions. Um, we have a question via email: Is the development of Alzheimer's affected by the diet? You mentioned a protein that builds up um, in the brain. Can we affect that with our diet, Justin?
3: Um, in a way, we can. Um, Different types of dementias also have vascular risk factors. Mm -hmm. So eating an unhealthy diet, just like it can lead to heart disease, it can lead to brain disease. Um, There was an article probably about six or seven years ago in the Lancet that showed that um, throughout your life or at least middle age on, if you improve your diet, um, you can substantially lower uh, your risk of Alzheimer's. Uh, what they typically recommend is a modified Mediterranean or mine diet. It's called.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but once you have Alzheimer's, and your your diet's not hugely hugely important.
1: Got it. What other are there other preventive factors that we can tell patients worried about this, Joe?
2: Yeah, definitely. I do? I usually tell people that exercise on mm-hmm. a day to day basis is extremely valuable. So you want to try to get out and be about thirty minutes of exercise a day, and it needs to be. A little bit aggressive. Usually that's better, I mean, once you have dementia, it's probably not going to help you as much. Right. Probably better in those that are middle-aged and mm-hmm. aging, and so that that is something that would be very effective. And then I usually try to tell people, try to learn something new every day. Um, it can be pretty advanced if you wanted to get to that stage, or it can be pretty mild. So mm-hmm. and. And a lot of times I tell people, you know, it to be enough just to read the paper and then have a conversation with your family member about that, what you're learning, mm-hmm. so that you're you're kind of solidifying that knowledge you're gaining. If you just read the paper, that's probably not enough. You need to have a conversation with somebody about it and do some of those things, so. you
1: Use those parts of your brain.
2: Use the parts of your brain. Yeah. I, I say the body's lazy, and so if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you don't use your memory, you're gonna lose your memory, yeah. so. yeah.
1: What else, any other protective factors, Justin, or things that patients can do earlier in life?
3: Um, yep, one thing is to, besides staying physically active and mentally active, staying socially
1: active, mm-hmm.
3: um, interaction with family, interaction with friends, um, whatever capacity you can, can make a pretty big difference too.
1: Mm-hmm. Great, I feel like, I don't know, 15 years ago, we were telling people to, to do things like brain puzzles, and now it's really basic advice, right? Exercise every day, eat healthy, do the healthy things that we tell you for other reasons, it's healthy for your brain too. Great, um, we, we got a question about, is Alzheimer's disease hereditary or does it run in families? Justin, can it be hereditary?
3: Um, yeah, um, there's early onset Alzheimer's and late onset. Um, early onset tends to happen before the age of uh, 60 or 65. Um, that's typically only 1% of the cases of Alzheimer's. There's three different genes you can inherit, presenilin-1, 2, and APP, but it's incredibly rare. Um, More what people are finding is um, they could inherit uh, a gene called ApoE4. Oftentimes it's found on those uh, male in genetic testings like uh, Mm -hmm. 23andMe. And so um, that gene can increase your chance of having it, but it doesn't predetermine that you Mm -hmm. will. And so if you inherit one copy, it increases your chance by about uh, two times. And if you inherit two copies, um, it'll increase your chance by eight to 12 times.
1: Mm -hmm. So interpret with caution. Those, the send in Mm -hmm. genetic tests anyways, huh? great how about there there's a question here can you have memory changes or forgetfulness without it being dementia we were just talking about this with our students joe how we would, would you answer have, that uh,
2: yes i mean obviously your brain is not quite as good at remembering as you get older so mm-hmm. certainly you'll see some bit of slowing of that cognition as we age and so uh, i think People think about that as, oh, I forgot people's names, or mm-hmm. I forgot where my car keys were, or I forgot why I went into the living room. Those things are probably not so much dementia-related. Those are probably just some trouble with your memory there. And so mm-hmm. there is probably a little bit of Aging related to the brain and memory loss. Mm-hmm. How much of it is aging and memory loss and how much of it is dementia is, I don't think, completely sorted out at this point in time. And so we'll we'll know that as we continue to do studies and continue to learn more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of patients who come in seem to express the spectrum of normal, but it's worrisome as you get older when you forgot where you put your keys or you couldn't recall that name, um, but a lot of normal, so. Good, well, Alzheimer's is a tough disease that can be frustrating, especially to a loved one. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Shower spoke to Lisa Groon about her experience with her mother's Alzheimer's and how it has helped her in her work at the Alzheimer's Association.
4: Lisa Groon's mother suffered from Alzheimer's and her symptoms were noticeable by the time she was 64. She was kind of uh,
5: losing her words, having trouble coming up with words, uh, she was, um, asking questions about navigation, how to find someone's house that she's been to many times, Um, had some trouble with uh, planning, so coordinating her day, uh, thinking about how long something might take,
4: some of those skills. At age 65, she was then diagnosed with mild cognitive impairments.
5: Hey, we noticed that there are some um, cognitive challenges that could include uh, planning, memory, word finding, navigation, of a variety of different skills. And they identified that she was in fact having
4: challenges with those. As the months went on, Gruen's mother was becoming worse as she suffered from anger, paranoia, and hallucinations. She was then transferred to a secured memory care unit and Gruen spent more time with her mom before realizing the impact Alzheimer's had on her. In fact, that's one of the reasons that I changed
5: careers to be able to continue to support ending this disease.
4: Gruen started work with the Alzheimer's Association and her role became helping improve early detection care.
5: I was doing the same job at uh, another health organization prior to the Alzheimer's Association and it was just a natural switch to be able to uh, really focus on um, a disease that I know very intimately.
4: The Alzheimer's Association helps with answering questions about dementia care and has many support groups for caregivers and patients alike. That could be
5: support groups, education, um, community involvement, connecting people. Um, we have really fantastic early, uh, early stage groups.
4: And although Groon's mom passed away, she still continues to honor her mom's struggle and fight against Alzheimer's by continual improvement to early detection and telling others to slow down and enjoy the moments they have with their loved one.
5: And so many times people are trying to extend their life, go to work more hours, um, do the hustle. Um, And I think that there's value in slowing down and really being with the people that you love and hearing their stories.
1: The Alzheimer's Association is a great organization to help support people caring for patients with dementia. Do you have a lot of caregivers in in your practice who have used them and?
2: I have a lot of caregivers that use them and they have excellent resources. So I refer a lot of people, I say if if you're new to this, it's very helpful to start at Alzheimer's.org, just look at some of the resources they have and try not to get overwhelmed. So I try to steer them to certain areas of that website that may be a little bit more effective, but I like the message boards because sometimes they have problems with activities and those message boards sometimes provide some unusual solutions that I haven't thought about, so.
1: Right, yeah, and good links to local support groups and stuff like that, so a great resource. Well, we've had a few questions about testing and diagnosis of dementia, so let's talk about that a little bit. Justin, what kind of testing do we use? You mentioned the history taking first, of course. What kind of testing do we use to try and get at a diagnosis when we might suspect a patient could have dementia?
3: Uh, yep, like we were talking about, we try to look for the reversible causes, mm-hmm. like a vitamin D12, a thyroid level. Uh, we look at a cell count to make sure they don't have any sort of infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we look at their electrolytes to make sure they don't have any liver dysfunction or uh, large electrolyte abnormality. Um, If they're high risk uh, for an infectious cause, oftentimes we uh, do a syphilis test and an HIV. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, in regards to further testing, uh, frequently we do do neuropsychological testing, Mm -hmm. uh, which is similar to some of our uh, small screens like a mini mental status exam or Mm -hmm. a a MOCA, Mm
6: -hmm. um, which
3: are just kind of screens that typically only take about five minutes. Um, The neuropsychological testing typically takes about four to six hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really looks in-depth at all the different cognitive modalities to see what areas they're having troubles with. And then depending on the pattern, that gives us a really good idea about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And lately, um, uh, Alzheimer's biomarkers are uh, starting to become a bigger deal. Um, We are able to do a spinal tap or a lumbar puncture to look for Uh, the proteins amyloid and tau Um, and then uh, pretty soon a blood test will be available to to look for those as well
1: that'll be a big change to have a blood test available Um, we we were talking a little bit before the show about sort of the and some of the initial testing we do i think patients are familiar with this because now they're getting them sometimes in their primary care clinics as screening tools these 30-point assessments Tell us a little bit about those. What are we testing for? What's normal? Because you can miss a few points and still have normal memory, right, Joe? You you definitely can, (laughs) yes.
2: So I typically use the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, which is the MOCA. Mm -hmm or I use the St. Louis University Mental Mm -hmm. State Exam, or the SLUMS, as they call it, the short answer. Mm -hmm. Um, They typically are looking at those cognitive domains, so it's similar to neuropsych testing, it's just a much abbreviated version. Mm -hmm. So they take that neuropsych testing, they've created a a much abbreviated version so you can do it in the office very Mm -hmm. quickly as kind of a screening test. And so usually you can miss somewhere between four to six points, kind of depending upon which test you're using. Um, And so that's what you're looking at, kind of those things so when you go to a neuropsych evaluation you'll see some of those same types of questions and same types of things that you're going to be doing at the neuropsych uh, evaluation
1: yeah good just lengthier right much
2: much longer yeah I, I think sometimes getting somebody fatigued a little bit helps us see a little bit more their deficits so yeah. when you think about a 30 minute test you're, or a 15 minute test you're not going to be very fatigued but if i sit you in a room for four hours that's going to make me a little tired
1: yeah right <laughs> um good let's um go to some other questions Interesting question, can you go through life without developing dementia, uh, a viewer from T asked, what would you say to that? Yes. You bet. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> we can. all know the really sharp 100 year old patient, right?
2: Uh, we, I have several of yeah.
1: them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. So yes, not everybody gets dementia. Um, we, uh, we got a question, what are the stages of Alzheimer's disease? Um, Justin, how would you answer that? I don't know if we have discrete stages, but what, what's a typical sort of progression look like?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of different scales out there that are a bit overly complicated. Uh, what we typically go by clinically mm-hmm. um, is mild, mild to moderate, moderate, moderate to severe and severe. And so basically depending on your level of functioning and uh, how much assistance you're needing with day-to-day things, um, that's how we classify you. Um, there, is a, there is a fair amount of subjectivity to it. Uh, but it's not based off the MOCA, or not based off any right. uh, quantitative test. It's just based off how, how you're functioning day to day.
1: Yeah. So function is a big role. And when we, what do we mean when we're talking about function? But like, what kinds of activities might we ask about that are affected
2: by? Well, just dementia? what you do normally in your day-to-day yeah. activities. Can you get yourself dressed? Can you go to the bathroom? Can you use a telephone? Can you manage your finances? Mm-hmm. Can you? get to the grocery store and make a meal. Right. Those are the main things that you kind of think about as some of the activities yeah. that we're looking at function-wise. Right,
1: good. Um, okay, let's keep moving on. I, we had um, a caller from Sioux Falls ask, does brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, play a role in dementia or memory or possible treatments of dementia and like disorders? I'm gonna punt this one to you, Justin.
3: Yeah, there's been some association with it. Um, but can you tell us what that is it,
1: first? Help me out. Um, can you tell us what that, what that protein is?
3: Um, yeah, the brain neurotrophic yeah. factor is basically uh, a factor that it can be associated with um, kind of brain dysfunction or brain injury.
1: Okay.
3: Uh, and then other times it can be associated with the growth too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we typically don't, don't follow it just because there's not enough evidence one way or the other, whether it's um, useful for the diagnosis.
1: Got it. Is it being studied in, in regards to things like treatment?
3: Um, not necessarily treatment, it's more with the initial diagnosis.
1: Got it, good. Um, we had a question from Sioux Falls that, that about being a caregiver to elderly parents. Are there any resources for caregivers and spe- options specific to Sioux Falls? Joe, what would you, where would you direct that caregiver?
2: Well, I think again, Alzheimer's.org is mm-hmm. a great starting point. Uh, I also like the AARP. They always, always have some good resources. And then Active Generations, I think, is an mm. excellent place to go Look for resources. So, Active Generations has uh, the d- adult day break that they have, where you can uh, take individuals if you're having difficulty and need mm. a little bit of break from a day-to-day activity. And then they have lots of other resources that, the, that your loved one can get involved in if needed. So, that's what I would tell people. Active Generations is very good. AARP, Alzheimer's.org you can talk to uh, one of your healthcare providers mm-hmm. if you can get in with uh, dr pearson myself mm-hmm. or one of the sanford teams that uh, yeah. handle some of that too some of the neurologists will get you tied into some of those locations
1: great um, question from facebook my mom is currently in a nursing home and has dementia she's had a change in her behavior this week and they're checking for a uti she's unable to express if she has pain anything else that she they should be checking for This is a common scenario, right? For your patients in the nursing home. I think, how how do you approach those patients when they have a change?
2: Well, typically I'm looking for any other signs or symptoms of infection. So I'll look for respiratory symptoms Mm -hmm. if they're having some type of respiratory symptom. I'll also look at the skin to make sure that we're not missing something skin wise. Mm -hmm. And then usually I look at electrolytes and uh, white blood cell count a lot of times to look for maybe we're missing some type of infection. And Mm so that's typically where I would start that sometimes uh, the behaviors just change. right? And so as memory kind of falls, sometimes the, it makes you harder to maintain your normal level sure. of functioning. And so that's one of those signs of maybe some deterioration in function at that point in time too.
1: Great. Um, question from Bath, can a serious head injury like a concussion or a traumatic brain injury lead to dementia or Alzheimer's? Justin? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, there has been definitely some associated with CTE as we've all um, mm-hmm. seen in the news in the last few years. Um, in regards to different types of dementia, that's still a bit mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no definitive association, but there, there definitely is um, some with that uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes, may look a little different than than other types. Yeah. We had a couple questions actually about um, dementia correlated with Parkinson's disease or Lewy body dementia. Um, Two different callers asked about that. So can we talk about a little bit about that? What What is Parkinson that goes with, or excuse me, dementia that goes along with Parkinson's disease look like typically, Joe?
2: Well typically it's somebody that has Parkinson's disease already and uh-huh. now they start having difficulty with their memory so sure. it's somebody that has had a diagnosis and then they start having trouble that looks similar to an Alzheimer's mm-hmm. type memory. Sometimes you get a little bit more common to see hallucinations in mm-hmm. those types of dementias as opposed to others mm-hmm. um, and so that may be something you see a little bit or, earlier. Sure. Uh, maybe a, a little bit of uh, you know that hallucination would give you a tip that maybe there is some bit of memory challenge. Yeah, Lewy kind of. body, I think of, is a similar type diagnosis. Uh, Justin may have a different opinion on this, so I'd be curious to see what he has to say, but um, it, you usually see the memory loss at the time of diagnosis of Parkinsonism or the mm-hmm. classic findings of Parkinson's disease. So there, there are similar type processes that are going on in the brain that cause that memory trouble.
1: Got it. Would you add anything to that, Justin?
3: Yep, it's actually uh, um, most people or most neurologists you talk to would say it's the exact same thing. It just depends on what starts first. Got it. Uh, the troubles with cognition or the movement disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if the movement disorder occurs after the memory loss or only a year before the cognitive changes, then technically mm-hmm. it's Lewy body dementia. Okay. Otherwise, it's classified as uh, Parkinson's dementia.
1: Got it. And for uh, but
3: same thing, same treatment.
1: Yeah. For patients with Parkinson's disease that don't have dementia, what percent of those patients might go on to experience dementia? Because it's not all of them, right?
3: No, no, yeah. it's right around half. Okay. And so definitely not everybody ends up having uh, troubles with their cognition.
1: Good. Um, hope we answered those questions. Um, another question about Lewy body dementia, so I'm just going to skip over that. Um, how is Parkinson's diagnosed? We got a question from from Spearfish, so I guess let's talk about it as the movement disorder. Let's let's say we're talking about our typical Parkinson's. How do we diagnose that disease, Justin? Yep,
7: yeah,
3: it's uh, always diagnosed clinically, although there are a few tests that can kind of help confirm it. Uh, so basically, somebody needs uh, basically rigidity or spasticity, mm-hmm. um, and then they also need either a tremor or. Uh, slowness of movement mm-hmm. um, and then also typically they don't have troubles with balance and so there's no uh, blood test you can do to sort of see if it's uh, mm-hmm. Parkinson's uh, there is a scan you can do called a DAT scan that can help differentiate between is the Parkinson's due to an antipsychotic type medication mm-hmm. or is it uh, truly Parkinson's
1: Got it, thanks. We're gonna go back to Alzheimer's now. When a loved one is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it is always tough to grasp all that comes next. The Lyons family story has been ongoing for more than 10 years with the diagnosis of their father, Pat Lyons. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Shower shares their journey.
4: Mandy and Megan are the daughters of Pat Lyons, who's had Alzheimer's for 10 years when my dad was in
6: his early 60s that um, he started to see symptoms. And he was pretty good also at trying to cover things. And I think that he had some amazing, um, you know, administrative assistants that did a fantastic job of helping him.
4: Pat Lyons was a professor emeritus of economics and worked at SDSU for 39 years, fulfilling many roles with many accomplishments, including Teacher of the Year five times throughout his tenure.
6: He taught at the university. He was the legal aid advisor. He was the, you know, student senate um, advisor. He had been an advisor for one of the fraternities. He um, he owned a number of rental properties. He. He farmed a bunch of land around South Dakota, um, and he was a retired colonel in the National Guard.
4: However, he had to retire in 2014 due to his Alzheimer's getting worse. I remember the day that he called and he said, Megan, I was
6: teaching in the Rotunda today, and I got there, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to run my PowerPoint. And I've been using PowerPoint since the day it was invented. I just couldn't figure it out.
4: Mandy and Megan both saw how bad Pat's mental state was declining, and Mandy quit her job to take care of her father along with her two sons. They were both struggling with losing their dad to this disease until a person whose family member was also struggling with Alzheimer's told Mandy.
0: You're in the worst phase right now. It's not going to get better, but it's going to get easier to manage. And And I remember thinking, that's that's exactly
4: what I needed. They both took that information to heart and became people to rely on when others were struggling with how to take care of someone with Alzheimer's. We've had friends, we've had new friends that we've met
0: because of this disease and um, being where we are, um, in kind of our the, the stage that, that dad's in right now and everything that we've been through, we, we can help facilitate that learning and that growth and that acceptance from um, in other people that are going through it too. And they recommend two things, call on others for support, like the Alzheimer's Association. Use the Alzheimer's Association. They have a 24 hour hotline that you can call 24 hours a day if you are having any questions, if you're really sad, We've called for about every reason, and they're amazing.
4: And try to be open with everyone about Alzheimer's.
6: Be as open as you can and talk about it as much as you can so that people do feel comfortable still spending time with you, even if it's not the same person that they, you know, knew before.
1: thanks so much to the Lyons family for helping us with that segment. Um, I I do find a lot of what we do in taking care of patients with dementia is helping their families, Mm -hmm. the people that are taking care of them, learn how to cope with that. What's some of the advice that you give to families, spouses and children and and that kind of thing um, early on when patients are at home?
2: Early on, yeah. I usually try to tell them to find the resources that they mm-hmm. need to make sure that they have lined up and to talk to family and say, as this progresses, I'm going to need help and how are we going to make this work mm-hmm. so that if we're going to try to keep my loved one here at the house, mm-hmm. what resources do I need to have lined up to make that happen? Mm-hmm. If that's not the goal, it's not as important to have those conversations up front, but having some of that conversation up front is extremely helpful, planning for what's going to be coming because dementia is slowly progressive
7: mm-hmm. and
2: is a terminal illness, so a lot of people die from dementia and so it's helpful mm-hmm. to have all of that kind of conversation uh, at, at early as opposed to waiting till later. Yeah. And then trying to find ways that they can maintain contact with the individual and maintain contact with everybody else, because a lot of times what happens is the caregivers end up spending most of their time with the demented patient and not uh, interacting with family, and Mm -hmm. that takes a toll.
1: Yeah, it can be really isolating. It is. Yeah. Good. Um, well, we have a bunch of questions. Let's try to tackle them in the time that we have left. Um, so we'll just jump around here, okay? Um, we had a question, kind of unrelated to dementia necessarily, but Justin, a question about treatment for familial tremor or essential tremor. Can you tell us about that, what that looks like and, and how we do treat it?
3: Uh, yeah, that's by far the most uh, common type of tremor we see. Um, It actually runs in my family kind of bad, too. Um, (laughs) And so the two big medications we usually use are uh, propranolol and primidone. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically we we have to sort of escalate the dose until it's helpful. Um, There's also other medications out there. Um, There's a few newer things. They do do deep brain stimulation if it's quite bad and people are unable to function. Um, and then there's also ultra assigned guided ablation, too, uh, that has been pretty successful.
1: Okay, great. Um, let's see. How about um, I, we got a question that I don't know if it's in response to the SI I wrote for the newspaper, but um, a caller who asked about diphenhydramine, um, they read that maybe that might not help brain function and they take it in a sleep aid. Um, do you try to get at that when you're interviewing mm-hmm. patients if, they, if they're worried about their cognition? And what do you tell patients about that, Joe? De-
2: definitely any medication that can alter cognition is not gonna be good if you're mm-hmm. starting to see or worry about memory signs. So yes, diphenhydramine is one that I would recommend trying to avoid mm-hmm. in that situation. And if we could find so- an alternative to help with sleep, which there are plenty mm-hmm. uh, to try to help with that. And then uh, certainly trying to just do sleep hygiene would be yeah. really effective. As we talk about prevention, sleep is another way to help with prevention. If mm-hmm. you can get adequate sleep, typically in that middle age timeframe, that is usually something that helps preserve memory pretty well. And so you do wanna get good sleep, but uh, taking diphenhydramine is probably not the best choice.
1: Yeah, let's avoid it. Okay, um, let's talk about, we, we had a question of, about non-Alzheimer's dementia. Are other types of dementia hereditary at all, Justin?
3: Um, yep, yeah, uh, both frontotemporal dementia and Parkinson's dementia can be hereditary.
1: Okay.
3: Um, there's also a number of different, more rare types of dementia, like MELAS, CATACYL, things you hardly ever see uh, can be as well.
1: Okay.
3: Um, but it's typically a sporadic.
1: hmm. Okay. Um, you mentioned frontal lobe dementia, and we did have a question on that. Joe, can you describe the Progression of frontal lobe dementia. How does that look different than Alzheimer's and these other ones that we've been talking about?
2: Typically, when you think of frontal temporal dementia or frontal lobe dementia, you typically find that diagnosed earlier. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the more common dementias that diagnosed before age 65. You often typically see behavior disturbances as the uh, main feature of that one. So maybe your personality has changed, or maybe Mm -hmm. some of the activities that you normally would do have now changed from your normal to something that's abnormal and maybe a little bit uh, socially inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And so that's kinda how those uh, typically come to light and present. Okay,
1: okay. Um, We had a question about another type of dementia. We had someone who called in whose mother was just diagnosed with vascular dementia. What's the difference between vascular dementia and Alzheimer's or other dementias? And do we treat it any differently, Justin?
3: Um, it's treated basically the same. The same medications that work for Alzheimer's typically work pretty well for vascular dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also address the vascular risk factors, uh, such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, smoking. Um, the vascular dementia itself is typically happens in, like, it's always called a stepwise. So people do well for a while, and then there's kind of a drop. It can be caused by uh, multiple strokes, Mm -hmm. or um, those vascular risk factors cause a lot of damage to the white matter of the brain. And if it builds up enough, uh, that can lead to uh, uh, troubles processing information, slowness of thinking, and then uh, diminished memory as well.
1: Okay, okay. Um, we had a question from Facebook, is dementia more common in different um, g- a different gender or race? Are there demographic patterns with dementia that it's more common aside from age? There's not
2: too much from that yeah. perspective. Age is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And men and women have about the same prevalence. You might have a little bit higher prevalence in African American, but not so much so that I think it's to be concerned. Socioeconomically, sometimes the poorer people have a little have a tendency to have a little higher dementia rates. Okay. And those maybe less educated sometimes have a little bit higher dementia rates as well. So those are the main things that
1: okay. you see. Um, we had a Facebook question Is word salad a symptom of dementia? What do we mean by that term, Justin, and, and might it be a symptom of dementia?
3: Um, word salad, well, we all get mixed up in our words sometimes, so <laughs> not necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when we get anxious, it's it's hard to uh, uh, articulate what we want to say. Um, that being said, uh, there are uh, there is a, a form of dementia called primary progressive aphasia, mm-hmm. uh, especially one called non-fluent primary progressive aphasia, uh, where a lot of the words come out; uh, they're just random words. Um, that have no meaning and don't really fit together. Uh, so it can be, uh, but it typically isn't unless uh, the word salad is kind of constant.
1: Got it, thanks. Um, let's see, we have a, qu- a question about dementia symptoms getting worse at night. Um, we see some of this, especially you know, in, in places like the nursing home. <laughs> Why do you think that is, Joe? And, and what can we do about it?
2: I don't know physiologically why that happens. I think a lot of times it's probably related to the sleep-wake cycle, Mm -hmm. and I think there's an adjustment to the sleep-wake cycle as we age. Number one, you don't need as much sleep and you don't sleep as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of that is probably from that sleep-wake cycle. Some of that's probably from fatiguing, so as you've been stimulating your brain cognitively and it's not able to keep up with that load all day long, that then leads to kind of some of these behaviors that Mm. you see at night. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some people call it sundowning is Mm -hmm. kind of the classic term that people use for that. And so I think that's why it happens, sometimes overstimulation. So if you know you have your loved one at a family reunion and they're stimulated, Mm. stimulated, 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 you might see that their behavior gets a little bit worse toward the evening because of the fact that they've been overstimulated, their brain just can't keep up with that and mm-hmm. so it kind of acts out in that regard and so I think that's probably why you see some of that. There's different reasons for it and uh, treatment of that is a little bit difficult and so you have to kind of see if you can find what's causing it mm-hmm. and eliminate those causes. So if it's because of the fact that they're overstimulated during the daytime, trying to reduce some of that stimulation. If they're under stimulated, that can cause it too sure. and so it's a, there's a fine balance between that. And so thinking about what is happening and trying to mitigate those causes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be unmet pain or it needs to, they need to go to the bathroom or mm-hmm. they're hungry or they're full or, yeah. and so that's the things that I would kind of look at trying to eliminate in those situations.
1: Yeah, good. Um, let's see, we have a question. Can you share about Benson's disease? I have a relative, it was diagnosed and it was extremely difficult to diagnose and why can it be difficult to discover what type of dementia a patient has? Can you come on on that, Justin, for us?
3: Uh, yeah, one second, I've heard of that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's a synonym for something else, but I'm gonna look at my phone. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, all I get is Benson's Flea Market, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Free ads.
3: Oh, yep, yeah, that's the same thing as a posterior cortical atrophy, okay? Uh, which is a form of Alzheimer's, which primarily um, affects our occipital and parietal lobes, so it causes a lot of troubles with our mm-hmm. vision. Um, the treatments for it is kind of the same thing as um, Alzheimer's, um, but it just affects the the visual abilities more so than the short term memory. Mm-hmm. Just saw a patient yesterday with that, and they're actually doing pretty well.
1: Great. Um, we had a caller from T who asks that they've heard sometimes caregivers of those with dementia might pass away before the patient because of the stress of providing care. Um, I guess, I'm not sure if that you could prove that true, but it is stressful, right? Um, how, you know, if, if you have a friend who's taking care of someone with dementia, how could, might you would give advice to, that you can help those families?
2: I think you need to reach out to Alzheimer's.org, you need to reach out to the state resources, you need to reach out to Active Generations, you need to find somebody that can provide some bit of assistance. So, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that there is a way to prove that like right. you said but certainly i have seen where caregivers have died before their loved ones yeah. as they've been caring for them and
1: sure
2: they don't typically i think what happens also is they forget to take care of themselves yeah so a lot of times they don't go to see the doctor mm-hmm. they don't go do any preventative you know they don't do their exercise like they should be sure. they don't eat very well and so making sure that you maintain some bit of time for yourself is very important for that. And so if you are a primary caregiver, finding somewhere where you can get some relief yeah. from that. So you're not there 24 hours a day, seven days a week doing yeah. all the care. right? Cause that I think is probably gonna be where you're gonna have trouble.
1: Agreed. I mean, I think if I could give a one piece of advice, if you, if you know and love someone who's taking care of a patient with dementia, offer to go spend an hour a week at the house, you know, go watch television with a patient with dementia so the caregiver can leave and do anything else. It doesn't matter what it is, but I, I, I think that's really needed and, and caregivers struggle to ask for help like that. Would you add anything to that caregiver
3: No, well, 100% agree. Um, the more support you can give the caregivers, the better. Um, oftentimes they put all the burden on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because they um, don't want to put it on others and don't want to know or don't want others to know what they're going through, too. Yeah. Um, but even an hour every couple of days to have time for themselves uh, can, can make a huge difference.
1: Yeah. Good.
2: One thing I didn't say is Mm -hmm. you can reach out to your primary care provider. Mm -hmm. So if you are a caregiver and you're having difficulties, you can reach out to the primary care provider and your primary care provider and say, I'm a caregiver, I'm having troubles and what resources are available? And hopefully they can help you find some of those resources that you need to get a break.
1: Yeah, good. Let's talk about it though. Don't keep it to yourself, right? Yeah. The winner of our prize tonight is Chris from Sioux Falls. Thank you, Chris, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be back after this. Miss an episode or looking for a specific topic? Head to our YouTube channel or website, prairiedoc.org today to access all on-call with the Prairie Doc episodes. And make sure to join us most Thursdays on SDPB and Facebook for new shows. Frequently, my patients will come to a visit and bring up a major concern. Doc, I think I might have dementia. My memory seems to be slipping. They might give examples of having difficulty finding words, forgetting people's names, or just feeling like their thinking is slower. Many of them know a family member who had dementia and they are worried. My first response is to hear their concerns. Of course, if a patient is showing early signs of dementia, we want to assess that and do our best to get a diagnosis for them. What I have found, however, is that often when these concerns are raised, we find things that are not dementia to explain them. As we age, some symptoms perceived as memory changes are probably within the spectrum of normal. The occasional forgetting or having a delay finding words is a great example of this. More difficulty recalling names is another. This can be normal at any age, but tends to happen more frequently as our brains age. Sometimes patients are noticing real and concerning issues, but through medical evaluation, we find non-dementia reasons for them. The most common reason would be, you guessed it, medications. While many medications can affect cognition, especially in older patients, often we can blame drugs with anticholinergic properties. Even over-the-counter diphenhydramine found in cold, allergy, and sleep medication. And benzodiazepines, usually prescribed for anxiety or sleep. Patients should review their medications, both prescription and over-the-counter, as an early step in evaluating these concerns. Other common mimics of cognitive change in older patients are depression, anxiety, and sleep disorders. These disorders can cause the brain to be unfocused and distracted, which frequently manifests as forgetfulness. Treating the underlying condition effectively will usually improve one's cognition, so we should look for signs of those when evaluating memory concerns. Numerous other medical causes can also impair one's cognition and memory. These include vitamin deficiencies, abnormal electrolytes, infections, or abnormalities in the brain like bleeding, tumors, or hydrocephalus. Further, there are numerous causes of dementia, Alzheimer's disease being just one. A thorough history, exam, and sometimes labs or imaging might be warranted if true cognitive impairment is present. To be clear, if you are experiencing symptoms of change in memory, don't assume it is dementia. Talk with your medical provider. It may be normal or have any of a long list of other causes. Let's figure it out together. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Pearson and Dr. Reese for volunteering their time to help us learn more about dementia. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube, or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and online, and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. So from all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, thank you for joining us for another episode of Health Information Based on Science Built on Trust. And until next time, stay healthy out there, people.
3: It's advertised and you hear it from your doctor. But what is preventative care anyway? Simply put, preventative care can help you stay healthy. Benefits of preventative health care. Next time, on call with the Prairie Duck.
7: Effective use of information is the foundation of modern public health practice. Hello, I'm Dr. Jennifer May of Rapid City, and I serve as a volunteer board member for the Healing Words Foundation, the 501c3 that supports the Prairie Doc Media. Prairie Doc programming is designed to improve health literacy, including improving knowledge which is conducive to individual and community health. Founded by Rick and Joni Holm, Prairie Docs and other medical professionals volunteer many hours every week to share information based on science, built on trust. Thank you for following Prairie Doc Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Plus, catch us most Thursday nights at 7 p.m. on SDPB. Because of your generous donations, all Prairie Doc programming is free and available to the public. If so inclined, make a donation today. Please help us continue this important work. Go to prairiedoc.org and click the Donate button. Don't wanna donate online? Send us an email and our staff will send you a pledge card in the mail. Thank you for supporting the Prairie Doc. Information based on science, built on trust.
6: Major funding for On Call with Prairie Doc has been provided by. At Avera, our nationally recognized health system, will be right here with you, with care
2: and coverage. Hello possibility, hello healthy.
0: Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information.
6: And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health Systems, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings, Madison, Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, The Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponson Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications. Thank you.